How we doing, church? Man, man, I, I love my church. Isn't it good to be here? I wanna, I wanna start today by simply reading one passage, one verse, and asking one question. Here's the question. Is this verse even possible to live? Here, here's what it says, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. As he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Holy cow. Like how? How, how am I gonna be holy like God is holy? I can't even live up to Fred Rogers. It kind of reminded me of a conversation I had with Mary years and years ago. She was part of my very first ministry. She started coming to one of our Bible studies and reading the Bible. Really, she hadn't read the Bible a lot before, so it was kind of new to her. She'd grown up Catholic, so she was familiar with the church. But when Paul said, you are saints, you remember, she's Catholic. She goes, like, which saints? Is it St. Catherine, St. Nicholas, St. Augustine? I said, no, Mary, when Paul uses that term, he calls everybody in the church saint. In fact, you're a saint. She goes, no, I'm not. I go, adamantly, no, I can't, I can't be a saint. I'm, I'm a sinner, I'm not a saint. And I explained to her how the word, what it actually means. I thought it was convincing. I don't think I ever convinced Mary that she was a saint. I was like, no, 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 I can't be a saint. So why in the world I think I'm gonna convince you I have no idea, but it's the truth. God calls you a saint. And by the way, the word saint and holy, it's the exact same term. And so maybe, like Mary, you're sitting here going, I, I don't think I can be holy because, well, I'm divorced. No, it's, it's not based upon what you do, it's based upon what Christ has done. Or maybe you're thinking, I, I've got an addiction, I'm not holy. Yes, you are, you're declared holy. Or maybe you say, I, I can't control my temper, I can't control my language, I can't even control my kids. How am I ever gonna be a, a holy before God? Because that's what he declares you to be. It's not about what you do, it's about what he has done for you. And, and I wanna remind you, the reason we're digging into First Peter this month is this little letter is a roadmap for how Christians facing opposition should live their lives to survive, not just survive, to thrive. So all month we're gonna dig into 1 Peter. And the topic we wanna tackle today is how can we be holy? And I just want to tell you, not only are you holy, but you can actually live up to that holy calling that God has given you. Now, I wanna just give this kind of a warning, a clarification. Often when preachers talk about you gotta be holy, you gotta be holy, you gotta be holy, the feeling people get is you gotta be holy to get to heaven. No. No, you're going to heaven because of what Jesus did for you. Here's the reason you're holy. Not so that you can get to heaven, but so that somebody else can get to heaven. Here's what I mean. You know that the number one accusation against the church, if somebody says, I'm not joining the church, why, why is it? because they're hypocrites, which is kind of true. So could, could we just have a moment of transparency here? Like I'm not gonna ask you to air your dirty laundry, you don't have to confess this to anybody else, but I want you to honestly identify. If someone said to you, you're a hypocrite, what action do they point to? 
Do, do, they, do they talk about how you treat your kids? Do they talk about how you talk about your spouse? Do they talk about a shady business deal that you kind of cheated them? Do they talk about your gossip or social media? If someone accused you of being a hypocrite, what, what are they going to say is the cause of your hypocrisy? And here's why this is so important. Church, please hear me on this. We can't solve everybody's problem today. In fact, I can't even solve maybe half of my problems. But what if I could solve one? What if all of us on all of our campuses, even you watching online, what if everyone decided today, I'm going to take one step forward in holiness. I'm going to align my life just one step closer to the declaration that God has made for me. Can you imagine over 30,000 Christians across our valley saying, I'm going to live in alignment just a little bit better this week. Can you imagine how much lower the barrier of entry would be? for the person who needs Christ the most. Yeah, the world hates us, and we love them back. And one of the ways we love them back is living in alignment with the declaration that God has made about us. So let's start with this simple statement. We gotta get it. Holiness is received before it is achieved. There's, there's two steps of holiness. The first step is that Jesus declares you holy. The second step is that you live up to his declaration. Let's read our passage again. It says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. That's a quote. Comes out of the book of Leviticus, not once, not twice, four times God repeats this choral refrain to say to Israel, I selected you. Of all the nations of the earth, I chose you to be my people. Now live up to my declaration of you. Do you know that's even more true of Christians? We're holy, not because of what we do, but because of what was done. Peter describes that in verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And as I look at my own life, how I, I want to live the declaration, but I, I don't always have the integrity to hold it together. As I look at my own life, I realize that I have a need for the declaration of Jesus over me. You understand that Christianity is the only system in the world. In fact, I would say it this way. Christianity is the only system in the history of the world where the verdict precedes the action. You're declared holy long before you live a holy life. Now, look, I, I get it. It's, it. To talk about holiness, you feel like those halos and angels' wings, and I can't be that. So what if we used a different word? What if we talked about integrity? It's, it's kind of the same thing, really. Because integrity, you hear in it the word integrate. You are integrating what you say you believe with the behavior that you live out. And the way I see it is that Holiness, well, let me just give you a simple definition. Holiness technically is simply to be separate, to be selected and chosen and set aside. So you know what's holy in my house? This is true. 
my toothbrush. Right? Because I've set it aside. You know who else uses it? No one. You know what else I use it for? Nothing. I clean my teeth. I don't clean the grout with it. Like, I don't clean my toenails with it. It's only for my, and my wife doesn't want me using her toothbrush, which I think is hypocritical because we, well, never mind, it's biology. (laughs) But you get the point. God says, you're mine and sets you aside. Now, when we talk about integrity, living integrated lives, the biggest barrier for integrity is not what you believe about God, but what you believe about yourself. See, Peter understands this is a battle for your mind. That you have voices telling you, I'm not righteous. And you have some empirical data to back it up. We all have sin in our lives. But God's declaration has said, I've forgiven you for all that. And so Peter describes the battle for our minds in verse 13, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is a funny phrase. Prepare your minds. Literally, in the Greek, it is gird up the loins of your mind. What? I don't even know what my loins are. The ancients wore tunics. From shoulder to toe, men, it looked like they're wearing a dress, but it's a tunic. And if they wanted to run, they couldn't run in a tunic. So they'd be gird up their loins. They would reach down between their ankles, grab the front and back hem, and pull it all the way up. Tuck it into their sash. It looked ridiculous. It looked like a giant diaper, but at least they could run. And Peter's saying, if you're going to run spiritually, you have to gird up the loins of your mind and be prepared for action. How? The very next verse. It says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. This is an important word, conformed. Because all of us conform to the people who are important to us. As a matter of fact, I I remember when I was uh, middle school, everyone said, you gotta gotta fight peer pressure. You, You gotta resist peer pressure. Peer pressure is bad. Let me just ask you, how well did you do resisting peer pressure? Because I was terrible at it. And you know why? It's God's fault, not mine. No, I'm actually kind of being serious here. God created you for peer pressure. You are hardwired to be conformed to the people who are around you. That's why Peter said in verse 14, as obedient children. See, you're children of biological parents in this world, but you're also children of a heavenly father. And just as your earthly parents shape your identity, They put voices in your head about who you are. So God wants his voice rattling about your brain for who you actually are. The difficulty with this, this is partly why we keep saying you got to get in a group. Come to one of our campuses on the weekend. And look, if you're online, we're so glad you're popping in. We recognize that most people check us out online before they ever come to a service. You're welcome. But at some point... If you want to take strides, remember that thing you identified that if you're called a hypocrite, that's what it is? If you want to make strides in that habit, in that character trait, in that whatever it is that's holding you back, it's going to be in community. 
Because if you keep hanging around the same people you've always hung around with, but not hang around Christians in addition, you're never gonna make strides. God designed us to conform to a positive community. Now, the, the, the difficulty, at least for me, is often the people I'm conforming to aren't even in the room. The voices in my head. I, I remember Gordon Kester, he was a pastor of the very first church that I, that I served in. And I interned with him for a couple summers. Gordon, he was a prince of a man. He's a woodworker and had cut off half of his ring finger on his right hand, the table saw. And one day after he had retired, I'm calling on this elderly couple and I'm, I'm just sitting there listening to their stories. I'd heard the same stories like four or five times. Sorry, I just wasn't paying that great of attention. I'm sitting there literally like this with my hand on my face. And instead of thinking about their story, I start thinking about my hand and I'm going, why in the world did I tuck my finger under my palm while I'm sitting there listening to their story? I was imitating Gordon Kester. And right now, you are imitating people that may not even be in the room. The fact of the matter is, we live the declarations that live in our head. And even if they're not in the room, there are voices, some of them positive, a coach that said, boy, you're a great shortstop and so you got a scholarship. Or maybe it was a teacher that said, your, your math skills are really high, so you, you went to college and majored in math. Maybe it was a parent that said, I love you and you believed it. But we all also have those people who put negative voices in our heads. You're ugly, you're fat, you're never gonna amount to much. How many times are you gonna make the same mistake over and over again? What's wrong with you? And we begin to play that in a loop over and over and over. You, you wanna know what's rattling in my head? I probably shouldn't share this with you, but I'm going to anyway. It's kind of embarrassing. The voice I hear in my head says, you're never gonna be enough. To this day, if I get a text or an email and someone says, hey, can, can we talk? My, my stomach gets a knot. And the Rolodex of my brain just goes into overdrive saying, what, what did I do? What did I say? How did, how did I offend them? You know, it's actually rare that when someone wants to talk to me that I've offended them. It's rare. It happens sometimes, but it's rare that someone is upset with me just because they want to talk. So if it's rare, why, do I, why is that my default? Because there's a voice in my head. And honestly, till this week, I had no idea where that voice came from. I was talking to my older brother and I, I was sharing with him that I was gonna preach this message and he goes, oh, I know where the voice came from. And when he said the name, he was a member of my family. And I went, oh yeah. Now, you don't have to identify who said that voice in your head. You don't need to identify their voice, but you need to identify that that is not God's voice and begin to give priority to those voices that come from God and not from yourself. Here's the good news. If someone in this world caused your past behavior, then someone out of this world can determine your future behavior. And I wanna show you that how that happens from Peter's own biography. Very early on in Peter's life, he, he was not a disciple, he was a fisherman. You remember that? That's how he made a living. 
And one day Jesus shows up on the shore. Peter had fished all night, caught nothing. He was ticked. And Jesus starts to preach and says, hey, Peter, can I use your boat for a pulpit? They, they put off from the shore a little bit so people couldn't mob him. And so Jesus preaches this great sermon. We, we don't actually have it recorded. I'm assuming it was great. And at the end of the sermon, he said to Peter, hey, why don't, why don't you put out in the deep water and let down your nets? Now, I can't prove this because I wasn't there, but I'm sure Peter thought or maybe said something like this. Jesus, you're a really good carpenter, but I'm an excellent fisherman, and what you're suggesting is stupid. It's the wrong time of the day. It's the wrong part of the lake. You don't know what you're doing. No, but here's what he actually said. It's in the Bible. He said, because you say so, I will. And he lets down, wrong time, wrong place, puts his nets down, and as he begins to pull them up, expecting nothing, his muscles begin to bulge. So did his eyes. And he realizes this is like a phenomenal catch of fish. And he starts to yell at his business partners, James and John, hey, hey, get your boat out here. That's boat. So we're clear. Get your boat out, help me. And so they pull the boats up and they start pulling the nets and fish are careening over the sides of both boats, filling both boats. And the fish just keep coming. It was like Jesus commanded every fish in the lake to jump on the net. And now they're in the boat. The boats get lower and lower in the water. They're actually terrified they're going to sink their boats with the great cats of fish. And you would think a fisherman like Peter would go, this is awesome. But he doesn't. Instead of dancing a jig, Peter drops to his knees. He is waist deep in a squirming pile of mackerel. And he looks at Jesus and says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. And some of you are saying the same thing to Jesus. And he's going to say the same thing to you. I'm not going anywhere. Rather, you're going to leave your nets, you're going to leave the boat, and you're going to follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. Fast forward two years in Peter's life. They're in this remote area, just kind of R&R, just Jesus and the 12 apostles, his inner band, and Jesus asked them a critically important question. Who do people say that I am? There's all kinds of opinions, and they gave the opinions. But then face to face, nose to nose, Jesus asked them the most important question. In fact, some of you have already answered this question. Some of you will not answer it until Judgment Day, but we will all answer the question. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, in this uncharacteristically brilliant moment, he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And that's what we call today the great confession. And, and you'll hear it at baptism. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And in that moment, as soon as Peter declared who Jesus was, Jesus declared who Peter was. And he said, Simon, that, that was his actual name, Simon. Peter's his nickname. And this is when he got it. Jesus said, Peter, I'm going to call you the rock. That's what Peter means. You are now the rock, and you are so strong, I'm going to build my church on you. You see, when you declare Jesus as Lord, he's going to make a declaration about you. And if we confess Jesus as Lord, we must also allow his confession of us to reshape our identity. 
Because until Jesus' voice is the preeminent voice in your head, you're still going to conform to the lower voices. And instead of living down to the voices in our head, let's live up to the declaration of God. He's the one that gets to determine who you actually are because he's the one that created you. He's the one that redeemed you. And your past problems don't determine your future potential. So maybe you are divorced. That doesn't mean you can't be holy. And maybe you are right now addicted to a chemical. That doesn't mean you can't be holy. Not only that you are declared holy, but you actually live a different kind of life because you listen to a different kind of a voice. And that's when we hear Jesus, we can obey what Peter said, chapter two, verse one, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Imagine if we actually did that as a church, 30,000 plus people taking one small step forward to lower the barrier of entry so that a world that hates us can be loved by us and ultimately be loved by Jesus Christ himself. So we need to receive this declaration of Jesus. Listen, listen to what he says in verse four, as you come to him. And some of you wanna be baptized, but you think I gotta clean up my act before I get baptized. No, you don't. In fact, I would say it's not likely that you will clean up your act until you come to him. Because it is his declaration of you that will empower you to live the authentic life of integrity for him. So what I want to do in the few minutes remaining is to take the scriptures that Peter wrote and pull four declarations. And I want all of you to receive the declaration so you can achieve true holiness. Here's the first thing that we will say. I am strong. You are not weak. You are not sinner. You are not imbecile. You are not ugly. You are not a loser. You are strong, a living stone that is valuable and meaningful. This comes straight out of verse five, which says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I know what's gonna happen. Anybody who receives that declaration, I am strong. I'm part of a spiritual temple of God. As soon as you walk out of this place, maybe you're watching online, as soon as you go to your next appointment, somebody is going to reject you. Satan is going to see to it that you're attacked. And as Christianity is more and more the object of aggression, this is gonna be more and more common and we just have to get it in our head that people rejecting us for the name of Jesus does not determine our identity. You know why? Because it didn't determine Jesus' identity and he was rejected. Verse seven says, now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Powerful passage out of Psalm 118. Do you know that this verse is actually cited not once, not twice, six times in the New Testament? It is pivotal that we understand if Jesus was rejected, we can expect to receive the same. And that's why, because he's the cornerstone. What's built on the cornerstone? 
the temple of God. What's the temple for? Temple was always a place where people could meet God. We don't have a physical temple. The Jerusalem temple was destroyed in 70 AD. And since that time, the people of God have been called the living stones, the living temple. And if our world is ever going to meet God face to face, it's going to be through the people of God in the church of God that is the hope of the world. And that's why we have a second declaration. Mark it, I am holy. A part of God's temple that is universal and eternal. You may not think you're a big deal. God differs. In fact, if you go to Jerusalem today, you can see some of the stones of the original temple. They're not pebbles. They're not even a brick in the wall. These stones, average, are three feet high, eight feet long, four feet deep. That's a chunk of change. You're not putting that in your back pocket. God views you as a stone strong enough to build his church upon. And together, this is why we keep emphasizing groups at at our church. This is why we keep telling you, come to one of our campuses. We want to engage with you, to join with you, to be the temple of God. And that leads to the third declaration, I am chosen. A royal priest in a holy nation. I got to read this passage, verse 9. Listen to this. But you are a chosen people. Oh, that's cool. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, which that's really cool. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Well, all of us cool. But this is unbelievable. A royal priesthood. He's combining the terms of kingship with the terms of priesthood. And you go back to the Old Testament and you realize, oh, a king could not be a priest. A priest could not be a king. Why? Because when this was originally declared, Exodus chapter 19, 5 and 6, God originally declared to the Jews, I want you to be a kingdom of priests. He didn't want a class of priests. He didn't want people running to the priest and the priest run to God on their behalf. He wanted every individual, every man, every woman, every child to have equal access to God himself. And finally, we do. Where they failed in their vocation, we will succeed because of the blood of Jesus and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Do you know who you are? You're not just a priest that can help people get to heaven. You are royalty that can help bring heaven to earth. That's why as a church, we gave over $2 million to mental health care of people who were struggling through COVID. That's why as a church, a year ago, we gave over $7 million to other churches so that they could succeed in our city. That's why several years ago, we took care of more than 11,000 children in Colombia to make sure that they were fed, clothed, and housed, and had a church to go to. See, we understand that in real terms, the local church is the hope of the world. And the more the world hates us, the more we're going to love them in tangible ways. Because our job, folks, is not just to get people to heaven. It is to bring heaven to earth. Don't you want to be a part of that? Isn't that the kind of church that you want to be a part of? Well, guess what? The fourth declaration, I am included, a citizen of God's kingdom, redeemed by Christ's blood. Here's how Peter put it in verse 10. 
Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is our declaration as the people of God. We can no longer cater to the voices that swim in our head. We have to listen carefully to our heavenly Father who has declared us holy. And once you receive it, then you can receive it. Here's the rub. Some of you heard that voice that says, you're worthless. And you've let it loop like 10,017 times. You're worthless, you're worthless, you're worthless. You can't just ignore the voice. You can't even silence the voice. But you can drown it out. So if you have allowed yourself to hear 10,017 times you're worthless, you have to hear 10,018 times you are beloved by God. And so we want to give you a couple of tools. I'm going to challenge you to pick up both tools and to implement them starting today. The first tool is a Bible reading plan. We put it together. You can read in the next eight weeks, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, and all of Peter's biography. We have a, a Bible study tool that is available to you to use for your own personal devotions. If you link to this site, you're going to get other kind of teaching videos as well. If you're using the CCV mobile app right now, you're looking at it on the, on the notes for the message. Just click the button. It'll put you to the landing page. If you're not using the CCV mobile app, why? We've made it super easy for you as well. Just text STUDY to 72020, and you'll be linked to the same landing page. So for eight weeks, could we just agree as a church, we're going to let God's voice rattle around in our brain every single day. I want to offer you something else. Here's the second challenge. A declaration of your identity. I'm going to summarize what these verses have said about you. In fact, this is what it looks like, our declaration. I would encourage you right now, pull out your phone and just screenshot it. Because I want to challenge you every day that you read for the next eight weeks to out loud make this declaration that comes straight from Scripture. This is God's opinion of you. This is God's declaration of you. Could we read it together? I'm talking about every campus. If you're watching online, would you read it with us out loud? Let's ring the rafters with this reading of who you actually are. I am strong like a stone, part of God's holy temple. I am chosen as a royal priest, included in God's kingdom. I live my life reflecting this reality. I don't know what you thought about at the top of the message when I challenge you, what is the one thing that if someone accused you of being a hypocrite, what is the one thing they would point to and say, see, see, you can change. You can be different. Don't blame it on your biology. Don't blame it on your Enneagram number. Don't blame it on your past. You have a declaration from the King of Kings and Lord of Lords of who you actually are. And if we live this together, we're not going to become perfect. We know that. But what if all of us, 30,000 plus, took one step forward to lower the barrier of hypocrisy for a world that so desperately needs our king? Holy Father, 
we adore you. We're blown away that you would give us your son, Jesus Christ, to shed his blood for our sins so that we can be declared holy. We're unbelievably grateful that you give us your Holy Spirit to empower us to live out that declaration. And right now, as a church, we're pleading with you. Would you convict every man, every woman, every child, every campus, everyone online, would you convict them of where they need to take a step forward so that Jesus could be honored as King of Kings in a world that hates the church? Help us love them better than they've ever been loved before. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.